Okay, so I'm going to give you a quick, quick, quick brief history of the Olive Tree Church. Um, it started way many years ago, about at least, Daryl Hoffman, how many years? 25? 21, okay. And um, I feel like it was longer, but I'm not going to argue because Daryl was furniture there. Um, and so uh, Sheldon and I joined the, the Olive Tree story about 17 years ago, and at that stage it was a very means that their mandate, their, their sole goal was actually to get Jewish people uh, to believe in Jesus and, and to get saved. Is that correct? I'm really scared that Daryl's here now. Um, I hadn't banked on him being here, and he could at any moment throw an egg at me. Just protect me, somebody. Okay, so anyway, it was a very, the, the, the vision was not actually hugely evangelical, but definitely for the Jewish people it was. Um, and then that, that guy who'd founded it moved on, and another couple took over, and they changed the direction of the church to, to have a new vision of um, Messiah's mission, my vision. And um, with any change of leadership, there was a mass exodus, and some new people came. But these things are important, because you've got to have people who are on, on the same vision with you. And, um, and while this darling couple was trying their best to move it forward in the way that they felt God had told them to, um, there, there was a, a very big exodus, and my, myself and Sheldon and our darling friends, Donovan and Mia, and one other couple were the only people left, like in our 20s, and everybody else was uh, way, way in a, to you know, like 60s and 70s, which was lovely, but we were in this new child-rearing stage, and we were really aching for people our age, and um, this church was in the middle of town. Wow, they're having a big party out there. Can you all zone in? So sorry. Um, and so... That we, we, we were in the middle of town. I remember a few times having to duck from like bottle fights between car guards and the room where we used to be with our children, um, trying to like breastfeed and be all like nurturing and everything. Like once or twice we found syringes lying there because it doubled up in the week as a training ground for medical people. So it was like not the easiest place to be. Um, and I remember there were um, so many people left and, and very dear friends and mentors of us left, left at one stage. And I remember the day that they came at the end of the service and told Sheldon and I that they were leaving. I remember saying, who next? Will God leave? Um, am I doing something wrong, Josh? No, all good. Okay. And um, it just felt horrible. And it also coincided with the time in our country where there was, I think it was the first huge exodus after 1994. And things were just feeling wobbly on all fronts. And, um, and Sheldon and I said, that's a God, we, we can't stay here. Please, please give us permission to leave. And he very loudly three times he said, no, you stay. And um, the third time I remember quite distinctly because this was the one where I kind of said, um, we, we actually had a tenant staying with us and she asked us to drop her at Glenridge Church, and for those who don't know, Glenridge was this thriving, pumping hub of life, not far from where we were meeting, and we arrived there, and I saw about 400 prams rolling in and about 2,022 toddlers, and I was like, wow, there's life here, and God, if you don't pull a rabbit out of the hat this week at Olive Tree, we're done, we, and so we, we drive up to Olive Tree Church, and there we see like 30 young people walking in, and I said, shall shame, they've, they've come to the wrong place, <laughs> they think they're at Glenridge. And um, that's how, unfortunately, cynical I had become and so far removed from any sense of hope. Um, it turns out that these three, 30 people had been sent by Grace Family Church to come and help Olive Church and actually for Ross and Amy Roger to take over. And um, so God had pulled this rabbit out of the hat. And there we were now with this booming life and these um, new people who were passionate um, and excited and also slightly clueless. They hadn't even turned 30, but it was, it just was wonderful. Kim Van Byron, you were part of that crowd, weren't you? Yes. Um, so 
So there we were with this very new church, and they, they, didn't, they couldn't believe that there was this little church meeting in the middle of town with people who sang in Hebrew, and so there was this big radical change that had to happen, and this team of young guys put their minds together and said, let's come up with a vision that will very clearly tell people where we're going, and then we'll be very clear about who's on board and who isn't, and let's just make it so crystal clear. And um, they came up with this, love people, release potential, and impact community. And I remember first hearing that and having it explained, and just my heart felt like it was going to explode. Um, at that time, I was a preschool teacher, and there was nothing more joyful than, to me than seeing little people and, and seeing what God had wired into them and just seeing that come out and speaking it out of them and, and, and releasing potential. So I was just so excited about this vision, and it felt so Jesus-like. Um, love people, release potential, impact community. It just felt like Christ in skin. Um, so I was very excited. And then after a couple of years, we realized that every time we were speaking about these values, we were underpinning it with this, like, but it all starts with God. It all starts with enjoying God. And we realized that it was absolutely ridiculous to not have enjoy God right at the top of our vision. So we rebranded everything. And now, as you see at the back, it's enjoy God, love people, release potential, and impact community. And all three sites, that is the umbrella over what Olive Tree is. Each site has its own unique way and its own unique vision. We, we, we chatted three hours a few months back. There's a way that North Coast will do it. There's a way Kloof will do it. There's a way that Olive Tree Florida Road will do it. But this thing sits large like an umbrella over all of us. And for the next four weeks, we're going to be unpacking that. And it is absolutely beautiful. So um, today we're starting with release potential. And I wanted to explain again, briefly, why release potential is one of these things. Because it's not something that you actually find, I don't think, often in a church vision. I, I certainly haven't seen or heard of it in many places. But this release potential thing came from something that God spoke to Ross. Ross Roger, for those of you who don't know, is our lead elder. And um, he was, um, he had gone away for a few months to Peru, he, um, to Indonesia, and he was in Peru. And he he went before God and said, like, God, show me what you want to do with my life because you know, I've studied engineering and I'm, I'm happy to use it however I can for you, but I need, I need to know what you want me to do. And one day he was walking past a coffee shop. He saw a big chocolate cake that he couldn't resist. He went in and ended up having a conversation with a guy who ended up being somebody who worked with Interpol. And this guy was chatting to Ross about the work that he does with human trafficking. And as he spoke and shared stories, Ross's heart just started to absolutely break. And he, he got to a point where he said, I can't hear anymore. And he, he, he went for a walk on the beach. And he said, God, if I, I'm good with a gun, you know, he grew up in Zimbabwe and he could shoot things. <laughs> I know that's not nice to say in church, but he, he felt that he could be like the guy from Taken. And he's like, let me add it. I am going to do this for the rest of my life. I am going to eradicate this scourge of human trafficking. And he heard God say audibly, no, you're going to start a church. You're going to lead a church which will lead people into their calling. And that is why this release potential is so fundamental to who we are. Now, some of you might be sitting here and thinking, well, we haven't seen much evidence of that. And the truth is we haven't. We've gone through a couple of, of difficult years at all three sites where our focus has been off of what we were first tasked to do. But off the back of an elders weekend, about three weekends back, we've gone, we are going full throttle after this thing again. So buckle up, because we were about to do a whole lot of releasing potential again. And I think today is, is just the beginning of something tremendous and exciting that is going to take place in our midst. So 
This is, uh, this is what this young Ross exploded into olive tree with, this, I'm going to release potential. And he was quite a psycho about it. Um, he took massive risks. He, he had scary people doing things that no other church leader would ever, ever, ever have allowed, like dodgy old me being the kids' church pastor. That in itself was a massive risk. But is this, should I rather use the handheld? Okay, sorry, guys. It's, it's harder to meet us up here, thanks. Is this better? And I've got a dingly dangly at the back. It's glorious. Um, okay. So what they said is as a church that they want to do is, is all the normal things that a church do. They want to get people to church. That's a great start. They want to help people make the decision to follow Jesus and then get baptized and then hopefully get into a life group or, and serving opportunities within the church. Um, and... And then ultimately, hopefully, people get brave enough to go and pray for people that are sick or invite a colleague into church. And those are all wonderful, glorious things that we always want to see happening in the life of the church. But they wanted to take it one step further. Based on that word from God, they wanted to take people into their calling, to to that release potential place. They wanted to take people into, from private schools into government schools and into hospitals and into healing and into fighting corruption, into initiatives that help the poor, into starting businesses to give people jobs and into creative art and into spaces of beautifying the city. So they just had all these things that they were going, there's so much more. And um, there's, there's nothing wrong with not reaching those things. I don't want anyone to hear that if you're not there or if you never get there, that that's a problem. It doesn't matter. But we know that it is in there in people, and we want it to be a church that would get people who have that in them to get there. Um, We recognize that every person has potential that has to be released in its own unique way that will bring kingdom into this world. So we completely celebrate every step that is a step of following Jesus. We celebrate every each and every time that somebody encounters his love. And we want to know that this would be a place which creates an environment that love is given to us, that we grow in his love, and this gets to invade the world through our unique and individual callings. So that was this release potential thing, to to get people to, to make a dent in their own unique way. And if it is sounding like it's driven and striving and maybe lacks a bit of contentment, understand that this was a mandate given to us by God and we stand by it and we know that it's a beautiful thing and we don't ever want it to be something that causes a striving or a, a oh, but I'm not there. It's, it's not to be that. It's just that where it is, we don't want to not let it be brought out. So um, there's this process and it's not a very pleasant process, and I've touched on it, but first, um, it's this process of going deeper and deeper and deeper into God, and actually what happens is that at each stage, we're having to, to kind of break through a fear barrier or a, comfort, a discomfort barrier, but I want to talk a little bit about the fear thing first, because first of all, for those of us who, you know, who have come to church, um, you'll remember before you maybe had a relationship with Christ, some of you still are, are working it out. It's not easy to come to church. It's quite a scary place to get to. We just heard of a girl the other day who got herself outside the door and then could go no further because it's actually scary. Christians are freaky. They're weird. Do you know that? We can be very bizarre to the outside world. Some of you sitting here and you still go, you are, you, you very are, you very much are. But it's, it's quite scary to get to the door sometimes. And then Sometimes it's, it's like, okay, I feel like I'm going to try a life group. And that's even scarier because they do very weird things in life groups. But you push through the fear and you get there and you see it's good. And then there's 
what? They want our money. And you know, what on earth? And that's scary. Give up my money. We're in a recession. But you do it. And you, you see that there's a blessing because you're putting your faith in him first. You're saying everything is from you. And I just give out of a recognition that everything I have is from you. And then you get to that place of going, oh gosh, God's just told me to speak to my colleague. And you just want to vomit because it's just scary and fearful. And what is everyone going to think? They're going to think I'm that freaky Bible bashing person. And then you get asked to pray for this random person in the supermarket because they're sick. And at every level, there's just greater and greater and greater fear that you have to kind of get through to, to go where God's wanting you. And then you get maybe to the place where it's like, oh, t- today God says, leave your job and start that NGO. And now you're terrified. And you know there's no hope but to completely let Holy Spirit take over. Now, um, about four years ago, a friend in Durban said to me, Nat, I feel like God has told you this year that you need to address fear. You have to get fear out of your life. And I took it quite seriously, and I was quite a fearful person, although I hadn't realized it. But it started with little things. It started with um, being in the Berg, and, and two or three crazy people were diving into icy July water. And I was like, oh, I wish I could, but I'm so scared. And, oh, wait a minute. Fear just told me I can't do that. And so I plunged in. And then some people going down a night slide, um, also into freezing cold water. And, and, oh, fear is trying to tell me no, but no. I say, sorry, fear, stuff you. I'm going for it. And all these little steps, you know, sometimes you, you see a WhatsApp from that person and you just, there's dread in the pit of your belly because you just know that it's not going to be a pleasant message. Going, fear, you're not going to stop me. And you dive in. You just keep diving in, answering those emails that you don't want to. Seeing that phone call and you're just creating it, but you answer and you just go, fear, I'm pushing you back because at the end of the day, I've got to deal with this. And, um, and then there was fear that I had to deal with that year of, oh, we're going to do a conference. A few of us had to, um, Mia and a couple of us at Olive Tree had to work past our fear to do a conference. And on that note, if you don't mind, because this conference is one of the places where we get to release so much potential, I'm going to just quickly show you the highlights video of Wholehearted, because Wholehearted Conference was one of these things as a result of having pushed past fear. So why don't you just a little pause while we enjoy this highlights reel. awesome. That was something that we had to push through fear in order to do. Um, And then ultimately, in that same year, we, Shell and I, had the call to come up to this church, and that was incredibly fear-inducing. But um, we're so glad for having seen fear and gone, it's okay to have fear, but we can't let it tell us what to do. So... um, What you also realize in that process of of next step, next step, next step, is at some point you start to go like, flip, it feels like I'm dying. Actually, this is hard. Um, And and what is happening is actually you are dying. And that's what God wants. 
Can you believe it? I know that's not an easy thing to hear. But you know, Jesus had to die before, before the resurrection. There had to be a crucifixion before the resurrection. And each of us have to die to parts of ourselves in order to be able to live fully. The way of Jesus is life, is death, sorry, before life. It's really horrible on this side of the cross, but on this side of the tomb, it's beautiful. And so in this process, we are moving through fear. We're moving through discomfort. We're dying to self, uh, to all the self things, the self-sufficiency, the self-ishness, um, the, all those self things have to die in order that we can be fully alive. Um, Paul said this in Hebrews 12 too, that we we have this joy to fix our eyes on it. said, we do this by fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Because for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. It's this horrible process to begin with, but on the other side is joy and life and fullness and abundance and actually seeing darkness pushing back light. Now we're going to look into the story of Nehemiah to see um, this process of getting into your calling, into that release potential space. And like I said, where is the church going? We're taking the break off of this thing, and we're going full acceleration into releasing potential again. So I'm reading from Nehemiah 1 verse 1. Now, it happened in the month of Chislev, which is apparently August, in the, 12th, in the 20th year that I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the Lord, the God of heaven. Now, the context, just to understand why he is so broken, is that there had been three, so all the Jews had been exiled to Babylon, and there had been three kind of rounds of the people coming back. There had been one under a guy called Zerubbabel. There had been 80 years under Ezra the priest. And now there was a third crowd about to come back. And this is something that the people of the, the Israelites had been longing for, for this um, return to Jerusalem and for really a revival and for Jerusalem to be returned to its former glory. And They'd been praying for this, they'd been aching for this, they'd been longing for it, and to hear that the place is in such a shambles was just absolutely heartbreaking for Nehemiah. Now, um, I just want to take a moment to say that this is very much what I think has happened this week in this country. You know, um, what we've seen break out in, in xenophobia and gender-based violence, gender-based violence, it's, it's um, something that it has just caused us to weep, and it's like our walls are broken down, and, and there's fires happening all over the place, and and this heart of Nehemiah just taking himself away and weeping, I have seen that on countless people's timelines this week, just saying, I can't actually do this. I've taken time off work. I, I am weeping, and I am broken. And um, I just find it so fascinating that this is the very week to speak into this. I've never, ever found it as hard to get my, my mind into gear to... to um, get on to preach as this week because I've just been so tormented, and I think we all have, by seeing what's going on. But what we see happen here with Nehemiah is that um, this is the burden of a call. This is what happens. He, he goes away and he weeps and he comes before God and he fasts, and there is a burden of a call that has been birthed. Now, there's a difference between in, being enraged 
and having a burden. We all know about being enraged. We, we get enraged about litter and pollution and um, traffic and people who don't drive well. And we, we complain and we moan and don't you dare look at each other. My two friends think I'm one of those people who don't drive well. That's not nice. Um, I drive beautifully. But anyway, we get frustrated and we get enraged and we rant in car parks and some of us take to Facebook and we, we have a good moan. But being enraged typically doesn't translate to anything. However, when there's a burden, it's something different. And a burden, when taken before God, is something that can turn into a call. A burden is this thing that kind of like haunts you, and you can't stop reading about it, and you go to your Bible, and you say, what does God say about this thing? And you start to see that what he says about it and what you're seeing unfolding in the world is so vastly different that you actually just can't tolerate it anymore. And you go, I'm wired. There's something inside of me. There's a seed inside of me that just can't stand back and let this thing continue anymore. There are some people who can't feel a burden. And there's any number of reasons for this. But I think what's happening is that there's a seed in all of us that God has placed. And there needs to be soft soil around it. And I think for some of us, we've allowed there to be hard soil that won't allow the seed to grow. And that can happen for any number of reasons. Sometimes it's self-protective. Um, but if, if that soil around this little seed is, is hard, then this burden can't grow, and it can't go anywhere, and God can't do anything with it. I think, if I'm quite honest, that a lot of the reason that the soil around these seeds and these burdens has become hard is actually the church's fault, even. If you just hear me out for a moment, I think that sometimes in the church it's become so much about... Um, us going to church and being saved of our sins and then stepping into ever-increasing freedom, which is absolutely, completely what we want. But sometimes it's just stopped there. There hasn't been the realization that that is for a reason, and it is for a reason to bring kingdom into the darkness. It's, we, we find this healing. We find that we are right with God. We are healed. We are set free in order to push back the darkness with the light. And, and uniquely the things that have been placed inside of us. So what happens in order to get this heart soft is that we go before God. We say, God, soften my heart. Let me be aware of what this thing is that you place inside of me. Soften it. We allow his love to completely flood us so that we can't be hard, so that when, we, when we're engaging with the world and seeing these things, we can't just turn it off. We can't shut it down and go, that thing doesn't affect me. Look, we can't be affected by all the things, but for each of us, there is a thing. So Nehemiah's heart was soft. We know that he took this to God. And um, there, is, there is something inside of him that's pushing against reality and going, this, this can't be. I know what the prophecies have said about Jerusalem. I know what God says about it. It can't be that this place stays in ruin. And so he, he goes to the, the person who has the power to release him into it, the king. In Nehemiah 2 verse 1 it says, And it came to pass that in the month of Nisan, now apparently Nisan is around March or April, so that's quite quite a hefty amount of time that he has prayed and taken this before God and wept and, and allowed this burden, this seed that's inside of him to grow. And now he takes it before the king. Um, he took it before the king of Artaxerxes when, um, so, sorry, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and I gave it to the king. Now, I had never been sad in his presence before. You weren't actually apparently allowed to be sad in front of the presence of the king. 
you could lose your life. You were supposed to be joyful and jolly because jolly, you were taking wine and it was meant to be a good thing. So you, you, you went with your best foot forward. Okay. So he was sad. And the king said to him, why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow in your heart. So the wine bearer had this relationship of trust with the king. Okay. You know, they were giving the king wine they would have a sip first to make sure that it wasn't poisoned. So there was a very trusting relationship um, with the king. And the king looks at Nehemiah and he sees his sorrow. And he can see that something is changing. There's a burden on him and something has been burst inside of his heart. It's like um, when a man and a woman have been together ongoingly and then, and then she becomes pregnant. And there's a change. And you, you see it. And she changes shape and form. And, and, and this thing grows inside of her. This is what's happening with Nehemiah in the spirit. And the king sees it and recognizes it. And he knows that this isn't just Nehemiah whinging and saying that he wants a promotion or a change of job or whatever. He knows that Nehemiah has got something inside of him that needs to be birthed, that needs to be given an opportunity to do what it has to do. And so you've got to get this, that um, Nehemiah had this thing inside of him, but he needed somebody to see it and to set him and to commission him and to say, go and do it. And so that's what Nehemiah does. And that's what community does for us, you know. If we have this thing inside of us, if we have this, this calling, this release potential thing, that gets seen from our community, or it's something that gets acknowledged and commended and encouraged. And we, we, go, we go before our life group or our serving team or whatever it is where we find community, and we say, this thing is breaking my heart, and, and I would like you to pray with me. I, I feel like maybe I'm called to do this or to step into this place, and I'm terrified. And, you know, to do that without people around you is absolutely crazy. Um, you need those people. Trust me, when, when there come times when you've stepped into your calling that you go, I think I made a mistake. I've got this wrong. To be able to go back to people who go, no, but you didn't. Remember, we prayed and we had that word and we, we spoke this thing together. We, we are behind you and you can't pull out now. You need those people. And that is what community is so important for. You have to plug yourself into a group of people who are going to see these things that are being birthed inside of you and growing and groaning and need to come out so that as you're going through that and it's hard, you have those people to go to. So then it goes on and says, um, what we see is that Nehemiah goes and he does some research. In Nehemiah 12, 2 verse 12, it says, Then I arose in the night and a few men with me, and I told no one what God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. Okay, so... He, he, he keeps this thing, you know, as a, as a pregnancy, you keep it, you know what's going on and there's, there's a certain amount of hiddenness, but he keeps it to himself and he's just letting the ideas grow and he's working out what they need and how many they would need and how much concrete and whatever is required to repair it. But it's just something that's growing inside of him and he's not talking about, he's preparing. And um, as you do in a pregnancy, you, you eat more and you, you rest more and you do whatever's needed to get ready for the birth. That's what Nehemiah is doing. He's allowing this unseen thing to grow and get ready for birth. And then one day it gets to a point where, as women will know, not men, where this thing is so full and ready to be given birth to that it's, it's time and nothing could stop you. It's just you're ready. And this is what happens here in Nehemiah 2.17. He's now ready to, to birth this thing that has been in his heart. Then I said to them, you see, we are in trouble. You see how Jerusalem lies in ruins with his gates burned. 
Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. You know, because he had been favor. He told the king, and the king had given him money and given him resources and said, go. And so now he's saying, I've stored all this up in my heart, and I'm ready, and this is what we're going to do. And there's been favor from God, from heaven, for us to do this job. I told them of the good that it, uh, for me, and also of the words that the king had spoken. And they said, let us rise up and build. And so they strengthened their hands for the good work. Now, what happens when somebody steps into their calling is that people mobilize around them. They go, I, want, I see this on you, and I want to be a part of it. I want to pray for you. I want to encourage you. I want to walk with you. I want to be the one that you call when things are hard. I want to so financially, whatever it is, but you get a band of people around you. Now, what's fascinating about our calling and our stepping into purpose and our potential being released is that it can happen in one of two ways. Some of us are going to be called to a what, and some of us are going to be called to a who. A who. I was going to say a who because of what. I don't know why. Sorry. Just forgive me. Okay. So there's some of us called to the what and some called to the, the who. And um, we know that Paul was, for example, called to preach to the Gentiles, and Barnabas was called to Paul. Paul was a no one without Barnabas, and Barnabas had no direction without Paul. I've seen both of these things play out in my life. Um, I think with being a Paul, that I have a burden for equality, and this plays out hugely with race and gender. I, ju I just have a burden, and when I see things that are not right with gender and race, I, my heart is completely broken. I often have to take myself away just to deal with it. Um, and I also know that at the very best, I myself am a recovering racist. I think that we, um, that all of us have things so deeply ingrained in us that we aren't even sometimes aware of them. And we have to be on such an open-hearted process to always go before God and have our hearts kept soft to go, God, what do I need to unlearn? What do I need to relearn? All of us are on a process to understand where we have blind spots around so many things. But for me, this burden is specifically for race and gender. And... Um, so you can imagine how this week, which has exploded in these two areas, has almost completely wiped me out, um, just to see that people have been perceived to have less value because they are of a different culture, a different race, and people from other nations who are simply trying to make a better life for their children and their families have been killed because it's like, this is our land and we have greater value, and so you are better off dead. Or with women and children, my life and my pleasure and my fun is more important than your life. This is an absolute scourge, and it's horrendous. Um, I know that carrying a burden, also you have to be so careful with, and sometimes saying these things can be highly offensive, and I'm really sorry if they are, but um, I just wanted to share with you that when you get a burden, when you get this thing that is going to be a part of your calling, that there will be words and pictures and visions and dreams that people will bring to you to know that you're not completely dilly and balmy and insane. And um, our darling Brett Shaw, who's sitting here today, he came to me a while back, about a year and a half maybe, and he said, Nat, I had the most crazy vision of you. Um, we were all leaving the church and you were standing here in the courtyard and I turned around to wave goodbye and you were standing there and I'm not going to do the finger that he showed me because that would be too offensive right now. But you know which finger I'm talking about and it's very difficult to lift this finger up but this is my other finger. But he said that I was pointing this finger at the congregation and he was so upset. He's like, why would you do that? This is a vision, guys, please. I didn't really do this. <laughs> and, and why would you do that? Why would you stand there and 
point this offensive finger at us and he came towards me and saw that actually I wasn't pointing that finger. I was looking at a little speck of light on the finger that he said, God said, that light is from me and it is good, but it is going to be offensive to people. And I've had to carry that in my heart because I know that sometimes the things that I feel to speak are really hard and offensive because we have things that are ingrained in us that God never wanted. And I do want to say that sometimes I will say things that are offensive, and Jesus also said things that were offensive. And you have to go away and do work and go, God, where is my hard heart in this? What do I need to unlearn? What do you want to teach me? And sometimes you need to come back to me and say, Nat, you went too far. That was uncalled for. I'm open to that. I do want to say that. I'm not just saying, well, because I've got permission to be offensive now, I'm untouchable. I'm not saying that at all. But there has to be a two-way thing of what, what do I need to get of this and what is Nat's just gone too far on, okay? And that, that I'm saying for all of us because this, this could and should happen with all of us at some stage. Greg DeBeer also had a vision <laughs> that, I would, uh, that I was kind of being very close and intimate with people that was causing another group of people massive offense, and they were angry with me. But the thing is that these kind of things, when you're in a community, they help you. When things are hard and tough and you think, I've gone too far or I've got it wrong, you go back to those things and they help you. They keep you anchored. Okay, so that's a, a Paul kind of calling where you feel like you've got to be an arrow and a spearhead and things, okay? Then there's the Barnabas calling. Now, I understand what it feels like to go, I feel called to be a Barnabas. Um, there's a woman in our congregation who is honestly like a Jesus in skin. And you'll know who I'm talking about. Um, she works in hospitals and she just doesn't do what she's called to do medically. She goes around and she loves people. And she goes way beyond the normal call of a doctor, Ren. Um, and she came to me one day and just said that she had dealt with a beautiful young woman who had been raped twice. And um, she had been handled very poorly by the counselors. And just hearing this completely broke my heart. And I wanted to meet with this young girl. And so we did. And I discovered that she's studying law that at the time she was actually signed up to help with a program called Red Frogs, which is where the um, Christian organizations go into party environments, you know, for the end of your matric rage. And they help kids who are under the weather and who are at risk of being raped. This girl's heart was to be a protector. And she's studying law. And this thing happened to her. And she was treated disgustingly at the hands of authorities through the kind of thinking that so many of us have inside of us going, well, twice, you must have been, it must be you, you must be the problem, you must be asking for it. And I do want to say, if there's any of us that have that in our heart, that somebody asked for it, uh, it, the only thing that causes rape is a rapist. Some of us really need to let that sink in. Rape is caused by a rapist, and that's it. Nobody asks for it. And so there's this young girl who's absolutely broken and devastated about what's happened to her at the hands of the people who should be caring from her for her. And I just said, you heal, you get strong, you get well, and I will, I will help you do anything it takes to get laws changed, to do whatever it takes to change this thing. Because I, I believe that, you know, there are many things that birth a calling or birth a burden. Sometimes it's a trauma. And sometimes it's just a passion that you've been aware of since your childhood. And sometimes it's just that thing that keeps you crying. Whenever you see it, you just cry. You can't help it. It's broken marriages or fatherlessness or, um, or addiction or corruption. But that thing that just won't let you go. There are many different ways that this calling comes about. But for this girl, I, could, I felt like I could see with God's eyes that this terrible thing, these things that have happened to her and her heart to bring about law and to 
to see the country governed well would go together to make the most incredible a, a calling, and I would follow her. I would do anything to be a cheerleader to support her. So in our calling, there can be the what, there could be the, the spearhead and the arrow, or there could be the I'm called to come alongside you and make this thing work. Nehemiah 4.9, it says, And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. This is just talking about opposition. When you're stepping into calling, if you think that opposition means that you've done the wrong thing, you're wrong. You've got to almost expect it. And that's why there's this journey of, of growing strong against fear, of growing strong against discomfort. And again, I, I really wanted to be clear when I say that it doesn't matter if you never do these things, but to do these things means that you get to live so abundantly and fully and to, to do the white-knuckle kind of face where you go, flip, it was a ride, <laughs> but I'm so glad I took it. Nehemiah 6.2, I'm coming into close now. Um, so Sanballat and Geshem sent a messenger asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of honor. But I realized that they were plotting to harm me. So, and I, so I replied by sending this message to them. I'm engaged in a great work, so I cannot come down. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? When we're operating in our calling, the opposition is tough. But we have to, have to keep our eyes fixed on that end goal. We have to keep going before God and allowing him to keep our hearts soft so that that seed can continue to grow and germinate. And we have to have people around us to strengthen us, support us, hold our arms up when it's hard. There are really two things about today that we want to leave you with. The first was that we didn't want to let a week like this go by and pretend that as the church, that it's nothing. This week was big for our nation. And it's big because for some people, this week has caused the burden to get too great and there are people who are going to step into calling because of this week. There are women who took from their keyboards on Facebook to the streets and marched. There are people who stood outside High Court and said, no more, not on our watch. There are literally people who have been set forth to live out of their calling because of what's happened this week. And secondly, the fact that we, we get to go that there are seeds inside of us, all of us today, that, that we know need to be grown and developed, that need to break out of the soil and come alive. So we want to be a community that is going towards those things, and we want to be a community that has the eyes to see it in one another and call it out. We really want to relentlessly go over and after seeing what it is that God is placing people and being a place that brings it out. The amazing thing about the story is that Nehemiah could not have been Nehemiah. He could not have done what he did without there being a king. The king had to commission him, send him, strengthen him. And this church, in this church, we want to be the king. We want to see that thing that is burdened in people or see that passion in them or see whatever it is and commission them and call them out and say, we see this on your life, now go and do it. We're with you. This morning when I was putting this all together and changing a million things, um, I, I remembered the words of a song that completely used to just have me in a mess. And my poor darling husband, I, I woke him up and I said, babe, 
can you please sing the song? And you don't just do that to people. You don't just tell them in the morning to dig up a song from 12 years ago. But he said, yes. Thank you, Shell. So he's going to come up and sing a song, and we're actually just going to take a moment to respond to the words of the song. Um, Chase, do you mind just passing me my phone? There's something I just need to read from there. Sorry. Thank you. We could be anywhere along this journey of faith. It could be the, I'm ready to actually ask God to come in and change me. It could be baptism. It could be ready to join a life group. It could be flip that person at school that I've seen that I've been wanting to pray for. It's time. And it could be that there's a burden in your heart that has become too heavy. It could be a burden for, for marriages that you just go, I can't, I can't stand around and watch marriages be broken anymore. It could be a burden for fatherlessness. So much of what we're facing as a crisis in this country is because there are kids without fathers, without strong men speaking to their life. It could be to, to change something that you're seeing at work that is corrupt. Whatever it is, you know what it is. There's something inside of you that you could just be going there, no more. And you need to today stand up and to say, I'm going to tell somebody this because I want to be accountable to this. It starts with telling God first though. So I want to invite you all to stand up. In Isaiah 6, it says this. It says, Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. If this is a cry of your heart, I just want you to close your eyes for a moment and just say, Here I am, send me. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your love, which allows us to have soft hearts in a hard world. Father, thank you that you've uniquely designed us, that you've placed potential, you've placed seeds inside of us, which have to explode in life, where there is just destruction and forests being taken out, forests of, of things that you wanted there, God, that we can raise up a new forest. That God, with what you've wired inside of us, with these burdens that we can stand alongside each other and say, send me. Send me into the next thing. Let me break past my fear. We're going to sing this song now, and um, I really want you, I encourage you to sing it from the absolute center of your being and to ask God to, to birth the thing that is going to take, just push darkness back whether it's the smallest act of kindness or the most crazy, ridiculous calling, whatever it is, God, we say, send me. Let me be one of those who, who is sent forth to push back the darkness. Thank you for the potential in each and every person in this room. God, let us not let it go to waste. May we speak it into each other. May we encourage one another. May this be a community that is set on fire. In Jesus' name, amen. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest.
Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Selfless faith, with selfless faith, I see a near revival, stirring as we pray and sing, we're on our knees, we're on our knees, I see a generation. I see a generation rising up to take their place with selfless faith, with selfless faith. I see, I see a near revival stirring as we pray and seek. We're on our knees. We're on our knees. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And heal my heart and make it clean. And open up my eyes to the things unseen. And show me how to love like you. Have loved me. Oh, break my heart for what breaks yours. And everything I am for your kingdom's cause. And as I walk from earth into eternity. Heal my heart, Jesus, and heal my heart and make it clean. And open up my eyes to the things unseen. Show me how to love like you have loved me. Break my heart for what breaks yours And everything I am for your kingdom's cause 
Show me as I walk into eternity. I think firstly, just to honor Nat, I think um, to, to understand first and have the open up, opening up your eyes to see what God's put on your heart and being able to step into it is, is completely different things. And I think I firstly want to honor her and then also encourage the rest of you is to, to be able to put your hands up, including myself, be able to put my hands up and step into that torrent that is going in the other direction and say, this is the time that I actually stand up and stand up for those things that are right. And that takes a lot of courage. So Nats, well done. God bless you. And secondly, um, many of you in the room may have been on a different side of the fence. You may have, have been one of those persons or people that have been on the receiving end of something that just isn't fair and isn't right. And I was feeling just during worship that we need times to process that too. Um, I did feel that during worship wasn't the right time because you probably wouldn't finish the service. But now is a good time. So if you need to process something, if you've been on the other side of something that just has affected you, we know that it's a process. We know that there's serious emotional scarring, there's physical scarring, there's stuff that is hard. Um, we want to make that opportunity. Please come forward after the service. There'll be people that can pray for you. Or talk to someone, talk to Nats, talk to, talk to one of us about just having that opportunity for healing. Father, thank you that you, you're doing a work in our hearts, Lord. Thank you that you're doing a work in this community. I pray again, Lord, that we are a community, a church that follows you, Lord Jesus, in laying down our lives and standing up for the things that are right. In Jesus' name, amen.